Welcome. Brand new series that we're beginning this morning, Seconds After You Die. Now, with a title like that, it probably is important that we wait a few seconds, okay? Like 1001, 1002. So good, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, Congratulations, you're still alive, okay? Life, life is a gift from God. It really is. And as much as I would love to spend time talking about the gift of life that God's given us, this series is about seconds after you die. Now, all of us know we are going to die. Here's a statistic if you haven't ever heard it before. One out of one people die. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin said this, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. That's right. 150,000 people die every day. That's two deaths per second. 107 deaths per minute, 6,390 deaths per hour. It's exactly or right around estimated worldwide 153,000 deaths per day. That's 56 million deaths Per year. I don't need to spend a whole lot of time convincing you of this undeniable fact. All of us are going to die. That is, unless the rapture were to happen first. How many of you ever prayed for that? Lord, let that be the case. Even Psalm 89 verse 48 says, what man can live and not see death? And by the way, the word death or dying is mentioned nearly a thousand times in the Bible. The Bible has a lot to say about this subject. Now, have you ever thought about how you might die? Probably most of us have at some point. I want to give you eight of the most bizarre ways people die every single year, according to EMGN Entertainment. 2,500 left-handed people. How many of you are left-handed here this morning, okay? 2,500 left-handed people will die using right-handed products every year. 70 people will die eating hot dogs every year. 572 people will die texting every year. Four people will die on roller coasters. 450 people will die every year falling out of bed. 13 people will die from vending machines. I'm like, are you like getting in a fight? Give me nice Snickers! You know, I, I don't know, but 13 people die every year from vending machines. 12 people will die from taking selfies, okay? Eight people will die from a shark attack. Now, let me give you a few other strange deaths that happened in just the year 2016. On February 12, 2016, a 35-year-old woman was killed when an airborne manhole cover crashed through her windshield when she was driving, instantly killed. On June 7, 2016, a 22-year-old man died at Yellowstone National Park by falling into a boiling pot hot spring. Okay? On June 10, 2016, a woman celebrating her 51st fifth birthday at Virginia Beach died after she was impaled by a beach-blown umbrella. Crazy. Let me give you 10 of the most common ways you will die in the United States according to the World Health Organization. 10 most common 
way people die in our country, suicide. Nine, kidney disease. Eight, mo most common way you'll die in the United States, the flu or pneumonia. Seven, diabetes. Six, Alzheimer's. Five, a stroke. Four, accidents. Three, respiratory disease. Two, cancer. The number one most common way people die in the United States, heart disease. One out of four people in the United States die of related heart disease issue. Ultimately, ultimately God and God alone knows when and how you will die. The question of this series is, what happens seconds after you die? What happens a millisecond after you die? Let's begin with a common definition of what death is. From, from a physical standpoint, death is the determination, death is the termination of all biological functions that sustain an organism. That's what death is. Physical death happens when all biological functions, like breathing and heartbeat and brain waves, when they cease, death occurs physically. Genesis 3.19 says, for dust you are, that is physical you are, and to dust you will return. And we remember on the sixth day of creation, when God created man and woman, uh, God said in Genesis 2.7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Now here we begin to see what the Bible will go into much greater detail later, but we see right here that we are part physical and we are part spiritual. Or we are part material and there's a part of us as human beings that is immaterial. The material part of us we call our body. The immaterial part of us we call our soul and our spirit. And physical death is when the physical part of us, our body, ceases to function. Now from a spiritual standpoint, death takes place the second your spirit separates from your body. As soon as you are a body without a spirit, death has occurred. James chapter 2, verse 26 says, The body without the spirit is dead. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. And the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. <clears throat> you remember when Jesus, he, he performed many miracles, and he performed the miracle of raising the 12-year-old girl from physical death. You remember that? In Luke chapter 8, verse 54, it says, that Jesus took her by the hand. She was dead at this point. Jesus took her by the hand, and Jesus spoke these words. He said, my child, get up. And her spirit returned into her physical body, and she stood up. For someone to be alive, there must be the body, but the soul and the spirit connected. The reality is this. When your spirit and soul, that eternal you, the eternal you, your spirit and soul, which we'll talk about later in detail in other messages, that part of you, it never dies, never dies. And this is going to be the focus of message three and four. Your spirit, your soul, that's the real you, never dies. It's eternal. Now this morning, we're beginning our series. We've titled the message, Dust to Dust. And this morning, we want to talk about what happens to you physically the second you die, what will your body experience? 
seconds, minutes, hours, days, months after you die. Genesis 3.19, for dust you are, that is, there's a physical component of you, and to dust you will return. And we want to we map that out. We want to go deep here and understand what the Bible says about the physical part of death. And so what we want to do is we want to study five realities that you will experience, every human being, at physical death. And the first experience, the first reality that you will encounter is freedom. Can you say that word with me? Freedom. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, think about this. The only reality every person here has known since inception, when you were conceived in the womb, is life within your current body. We have never yet experienced life outside our current body, which all of us will experience at physical death. Currently, the only experience we've known is that we exist within time and space confined in this body. After death, we will exist outside of time and space and outside of our current body. It will be a very true reality. We're going to talk about that in depth in message three and four. What it's like to live outside of time and space and in what kind of state will we live? Now, the Bible describes our current bodies that right now we are experiencing. These current bodies are sin-cursed. The Bible teaches this. Ever since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, when man sinned, our bodies, and in, in fact, the entire world has been under a curse. And the Bible describes our bodies as a weight, a burden, a load, being corrupted, defiled. Paul talks about our bodies being he uses the phrase, a body of death. Our bodies, they break down. They need constant repair, don't they? It's laborious to breathe, to walk, to move. And the older you get, the more laborious it becomes. We must expend energy to work, to do anything and everything in this life. We fight against gravity. We meet resistance. We face disease. There's infection. There's cancer. And the list goes on and on and on because the Bible describes our current body as a body of death. At death, watch this, when our spirit separates from our body, there will be an immediate sensation of freedom like we have ever, like we have never known. And this is talked about in many places of the Bible, but take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. I want us to look at one incredible scripture on this. Now, this passage, Paul is describing not only our bodies, but the, the, the world, the universe is under a curse. There is this enslavement to being captive and held in prison, so to speak, because of the curse. And, and Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, <coughs> verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings, right now in your body, there are present sufferings. But in this world, there are present sufferings. And he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And we'll talk about that in message three and four in this series. The creation waits, even the creation, the animals, the plants, the trees, they wait in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. That's us. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. That was God. And hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. One day we will experience freedom 
from this body, and also all of creation will be liberated from right now its bondage. We know that the whole creation has been groaning and in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly and we wait eagerly for our adoptions of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Wow. See, the first thing that you will experience at physical death is an incredible, unbelievable, indescribable freedom that words cannot even describe. I don't know if you've ever uh, broken a bone and, and been in a cast. Has anyone had that? I've had that several times. I have arms in casts and my legs in casts. And a cast, it, it, it itches, doesn't it? It's cumbersome. You have to drag that smelly thing around. And then the day finally comes. You're counting the days when the cast gets removed. And it's like, freedom! Yes! You multiply that a thousand times over. And that is what you will experience at death, a freedom like you have never known. You say, Pastor Mark, is this freedom? Will Christians and non-Christians alike experience this freedom? You'll have to wait for message three and four for me to go into great detail about that. (laughs) That's a little tease bringing you back, huh? But this is the first thing, freedom like you can't imagine from the curse of sin that our bodies all experience. Second thing that we'll experience at physical death is this, decay. Decay is the process by which organic substances are broken down into much smaller and simpler forms of matter. You say, Pastor Mark, why are you talking about this? Because the Bible talks about this. This is part of death. Psalm 49, verse 14, they are destined for the grave and death will feed on them. Their forms will decay in the grave. This is you. One day you and I will decay in the grave. Acts 13, 36, for when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. In a very true sense, as soon as you are born, really you begin to decay. The second law of thermodynamics states that all matter is in this constant state of decay, deterioration, breaking down. Now, although no two organisms decompose in the same manner, they all undergo the same sequential stages of decomposition. One of the most fascinating books I've ever read on this subject is a book called Stiff by Mary Roach. And I want to read a little bit out of this book for you. And she says this, which I think is quite insightful. She says, being dead is absurd. It's the silliest situation you will find yourself ever in. Your limbs are floppy and uncooperative. Your mouth hangs open. Being dead is unsightly and stinky and embarrassing. And there's not a darn thing that you can do about it. (laughs) Doesn't that bless you this morning? Now, in this book, she describes this cadaver farm in Tennessee where they literally scientifically uh, study decomposition of human bodies. Now, we could go into great detail here about decay, but what I want to do is I want to give you Mike Mortar's basic hour-by-hour chart of the decomposition of the human body after death, and this will be graphic enough. Believe me, I could be way more graphic than what I'm going to be 
I want to be graphic for a purpose. Because some of you watching or some of you sitting here, you're only concerned about your body. And one day your body is heading toward gross decay. You need to wake up and you need to think about the eternal part of your life. Our country is consumed with cosmetic surgery, making the outside, and there's, no, there's very little concern about the inside. This is what's going to happen to your body and my body. One to two hours, early lividity. You die, one to two hours, early lividity, uh, or black and blue coloring is going to emerge due to the draining of blood into the lower parts of the body. Two to five hours, clear lividity, black and blue coloring spreading throughout the entire body emerges. Five to seven hours, rigor mortis sets into just the face, the stiffening up of the face. Six to 12 hours, lividity ends and rigor mortis spreads uh, to the arms and the legs. 12 hours, maximum stiffness from rigor mortis occurs and the body's internal temperature lowers to 25 degrees Celsius. 24 hours, the body reaches ambient temperature and decomposition begins with body discoloration. 72 hours, Rigor mortis relaxes completely and bacteria begins to eat the organs. Seven to ten days, putrefaction, bloating from bacteria occurs and a bad smell begins. You remember when Lazarus died, remember that? And Mary and Martha, they took him and placed him in the tomb. And when Jesus had arrived, it had been four days when Lazarus was in that tomb. And John eleven thirty nine, 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha said, but Lord... By this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. The King James Version says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> That's what's going on. 10 to 20 days, black putrefaction happens. Liquids begin to seep out. Very bad smell. Black patches on flesh emerge. Flesh turns creamy. Gas leaves the body. 20 to 50 days, butric fermentation. Body goes flat. Flesh is removed. Body dries out. Mold forms where the body contacts the ground. A cheesy uh, smell occurs. Grave wax start at 30 days if there is an absence of insects. You kind of hope. 50 to 365 days, dry decomposition occurs. Hair gradually disappears. Bones remain. And slowly you begin to turn to dust. From dust to dust, the Bible says. Mary wrote, she says this on uh, page 84 which uh, kind of brings a statement here. She says, life contains these things. Leakage and wickage and discharge, pus and snot and slime and gleat. Don't you just want to go out and buy this book? <laughs> she says this, we are biology. We are reminded that this at the beginning and at the end. At birth, think of how pretty that is, and at death. And then she says, in between, we do everything we can to forget. <laughs> and I think that is so insightful. Say, Pastor Mark, why would you spend so much time about this? Because it's in the Bible. And it's in the Bible. Decay as a warning. As a warning. And the warning is going off for some of us right now because all we've ever consumed ourselves with is the outside our physical bodies are heading toward gross decay. You might want to give some attention to the eternal part of your life, which is going to last forever. That's in part why we are doing this series. Freedom, decay. The third thing that we will experience physically at death is care. Care. 
Now, because of the decay of the human body, there is a motive to take care of the human body rather quickly. This even happened with the physical body of Jesus. Turn to John chapter 19. Now, you remember, Jesus came to this earth, God's son, and because of his love, he died on a cross for all of us. And for three days, he, before he was resurrected, was lying in the grave. And this is the story of what happened to his body. Later, Joseph of Arimathea, verse 38, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus um, brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. This was the Jewish custom. Taking Jesus' body, uh, the two of them wrapped it with these spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance to the Jewish burial customs at the place where Jesus was crucified there in the garden. And in that garden, there's this new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish burial or day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, every society has its cultural way in which they care for their dead. I remember being on a missions trip in India, and just in, way out in the middle of nowhere. And I remember we were talking to this pastor about just some of their culture, and Daryl, my friend in the back seat, said just throughout this question, he goes, hey, how do you care for your dead? And I thought, wow, that's kind of an interesting question. And then the pastor began to talk about the challenges they face in India with not having the money to buy the land, to bear, and all these things. And, you know, question, how do we typically care for our dead in the United States? Let me give you five basic ways we care for our dead in our country. In other words, these are five ways others are going to care for you, your body, after you are dead. Number one is initiation. I don't know where your body will be found, but someone is going to initiate care and they will call the authorities. That's the first thing that happens. And a doctor or a coroner will pronounce death and provide a certificate of death. This is required by law in our country before anything can happen to your body. You must, first of all, a certificate of death must be issued. Second would be donation. If you happen to be a donor, parts of your body may be removed at a hospital for donation. Third thing, possibly, is an autopsy. If the cause of death is deemed to be suspicious, an autopsy may be performed to rule out or to establish foul play. Fourth, mortuary. Your body will be transported to a mortuary for holding, being kept in a very cool place. And finally is final disposition. The mortuary is going to hold a meeting with the next of kin, the family, to discuss the wishes or options regarding your final disposition. If you choose burial, well, depending on the date of your service, your body may be embalmed, preserving it for an open or even a closed casket, and then burial at a cemetery or mausoleum or a crypt, which is entombment. If you choose cremation, well, your body will be cremated. It will be burned in a crematorium. And your ashes will be placed in a plastic bag. It'll be placed in a container and given to the family. Sometimes uh, ashes are scattered or placed in a number of locations, such as a mausoleum, or even could be a residence. Whether burial or cremation, it's just a matter of time until your body goes from dust to dust. Obviously, cremation speeds up the process. What does the Bible say about cremation or burial? 
Bible gives us no definitive rules about burial or cremation. There is no command to bury, and there is no prohibition against cremation. The early history of Christianity seems to favor burial over cremation. As Jesus was buried, the early Christians were buried, and the Jews have always been buried. Regardless, there seems to be freedom in choosing between the two. Some people, they are concerned uh, that cremation had its origin in pagan practices, but the Bible neither condemns nor condones the practice. If cremation were sinful, God would have condemned it, just as God has condemned other misguided religious rituals in the Bible. Clearly, cremation in no way interferes with God's ability to resurrect the dead. People have died in countless ways over the centuries, in fires, lost at sea, all types of accidents, and all bad bodies in a matter of time go from dust to dust. So God will have no problem resurrecting anybody. God created the universe out of nothing. God will be able to recreate you for your glorified state in the future, which we'll talk about later. So with respect to cremation and burial, most believe that believers, what they do is entirely a matter of their own personal choice. Clearly, cremation has become, in the United States, a culturally acceptable practice with approximately 50% of people today being cremated. Now, let me give you a very important word right now. When it comes to the care of your body at your death, especially with your final disposition of cremation or burial, open casket, closed casket, let me give you a critical word, word, pre-arrangements. Your death is going to be a shock to your family. And the more you can speak into it now and make pre-arrangements for it, the better. Billy Graham, he's written a book, It's called uh, Death and the Life After. I just want to read just a little bit here, just one statement that he makes that I think is so applicable and so important to hear. He says, why give instructions for your own funeral? Certainly not because you will be concerned about them. You won't attend your own funeral. However, your spouse, your children, your friends, and business associates may all be there. The survivors would want to know your wishes. Where will you be buried? Have you left instructions about cremation or a burial plot? What hymns would you want to be sung? Are there any words of assurances that you would want to be said to your loved ones and friends? Are there any questions about an open or closed casket? How often the survivors of the deceased have to struggle with these decisions when they are in no condition to make such plans? And what would have been so much easier to have had the plans already made and settled? There are two pieces of information that you received on your way in here today. These are resources that are given to you putting my house in order, and also funeral and cemetery purchases. These are great tools to help you on the way of making pre-arrangements. Five realities that you will experience at physical death. Freedom. There will be decay. Those that will be taking care of your body. The fourth thing is this, a service. Service. People are going to gather. They're going to gather to remember you at a service. A funeral service, technically speaking, is where your body is present in a casket. A memorial service, technically, is when your body is not present. Regardless, your service as a Christian is a celebration service. And people will come together to mourn, but also to remember you, to eulogize you, which means to speak well of you, and to remember God's goodness to you and proclaim the salvation that God gave you and declare God's promise of resurrection life to all who believe. Ecclesiastes 7.2 says, It is better to go 
to the house of mourning than to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take it to heart. You right now, you're living. You should take this to heart that one day this is what you're going to experience and make preparations for this service. Your memorial service isn't for you. It's for the living on earth. Will God permit you somehow to be at your memorial service? I'm asked that a lot. I don't know. I don't think so, but ultimately I don't know because the Bible doesn't say yes or no to that exact question. What the Bible does say is 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord, which we'll talk about later. Philippians 1.23, I desire to de depart and be with Christ, Christ, which is far better. Let me give you one key word related to your service, and it's this word, opportunity. Your memorial service is a great opportunity for you to share the gospel. Paul said this, Philippians 1.12, whatever has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I have seen as a pastor who's done dozens and dozens of memorial services that a memorial service is an amazing moment, a point for numerous people, for them to hear the gospel and to respond. I've seen so many people trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, loved ones of the deceased at a memorial service. Ephesians 5.15 says, be very careful then how you live. I would say, be very careful then how you die. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every single opportunity in your life. One of the opportunities you have to plan for right now is your funeral. Now, how can you make the most of your own funeral or memorial service in the future when people gather to remember you? Let me give you six minimum things to write down about your celebration service. You need to write these down. Number one, where do you want to have your service? Who do you want to officiate? If they're on your outlines. You don't have to write them down. Who would you like to share at that service? What is your favorite scripture? What is your favorite song? What message do you want to have communicated? Billy Graham said this, planning your own funeral is a gift from you to your survivors. No one can convey what you wish to leave as a personal testimony better than you. Now, let me give you the best resource, period, that you can get. It's right on your outlines, myfamilyorganizer.org. Go there for $29.99. You can get the best tool that has ever been created, period, to help you plan for your future. It has all these forms. It's what I use. I every single person needs to go get this resource. It's going to give you great forms for your spouse, loved ones, aging parents, this is an incredible thought-through resource. Five realities you will experience at physical death. Freedom, decay, care, a service. The fifth thing you will experience at physical death is this, legacy. Your legacy is what you will leave after you are gone. Some people leave a good legacy. Some people is not as good. And a lot of the reason why is they just haven't really thought about it. You see, years after your physical body is gone from dust to dust, your memory and, and estate, it can live on in the lives of numerous, numerous people, and it can potentially impact thousands of people into the future if you just organize it appropriately with thought. It's really important for you to think about how you can impact your family, your church, even hundreds and thousands of non-Christians 
after you are gone physically from this earth. Psalm 78 verse 4 says, We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. Billy Graham said this, Stewardship is not just the tithe we give during our lifetime, but a responsibility which continues after our death. Stewardship is, is ordering your entire estate, leveraging it for the kingdom of God into the future after you are gone. Now, Isaiah 38 verse 1, uh, Isaiah the prophet, he comes to a king called Hezekiah, and he said this to him. He gave him a, a command. He said, put your house in order because you're going to die. You will not recover. And here we have in Scripture, God's will, his plan for our lives as believers is to, is to put our house, our material things in order. Everything that God's given you, that is your house. You're called to put your material affairs in order. Let me give you two excellent books on the subject of legacy and stewardship. First, Billy Graham's book is a book called Nearing Home. Every person here should read. It's in our bookstore. I want to read to you just something that in, in all the book, this is appropriate for me to read to you right now, because he talks about a man here that he knew personally that just, he didn't make the proper preparations. And it says this, shortly after the funeral, this guy's funeral, his family made an unsettling, even shocking discovery. He had never gotten around to preparing his own thorough estate plan. Nor had he informed anyone of his family about his financial affairs. They didn't know what property or securities he owned, if any, or even if he had a safe deposit box. Although from time to time he expressed the desire to leave some of his, his estate uh, to his church and several local charities, as well as to help a, a, a widowed sister, in the end, none of those verbal wishes were fulfilled. It took many months and much expense to sort out his affairs, and it could have been prevented if only he had done what he advised other countless others to do over the years. Prepare a comprehensive estate plan. Why he never got around to doing this or helping his family understand his financial situation, no one knows. Perhaps like many, he couldn't quite face the fact that he was getting older and that someday he would die. Whether it is a question of making a will or a dozen other practical issues, growing older confronts us with a number of challenges. If we don't take care of these necessary details, others will step in, possibly creating difficulty for, for, for those we have left behind. It is our duty to be responsible for handling affairs that affect us individually long after we are gone. God doesn't want us to leave a legacy of resentment or conflict or confusion behind. I have to speak to you as a pastor. There are so many times I intervene with families that aren't prepared, and there's resentment, and there's bickering, and there's anger, and there is a division that I've seen in families that has never been healed. And it's because the parents did not do the ministry of a proper preparation for this. And beloved, in part, this is why I'm doing this series. It's important that we look at this in our lives. We do not want to see division happen in our family. The Bible says, Graham quotes, a prudent man gives thought to his steps. Proverbs 14, 15. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly manner. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. That includes your estate. In a fitting and orderly manner, your estate. Billy Graham says, the older we get, the harder it becomes to deal with sensitive issues and important decisions that confront us. The time to deal with these things is now when our wits are about us, right? The second book that I completely recommend for you to get is called My Footprint for God by my friend Ken Edwards. This book will take you through, a, it's very current. It just came out. It's in our bookstore. You can order it. It will really walk you through the issues to help you 
with your estate planning. Highly recommend that. Billy Graham, you can see the quote there that I've given to you in your outlines. He says, having your house in order is one of the most important things parents can do for their children. Give them the peace of mind that you have taken care of the business that has come about from your lifetime of labor. Billy Graham also says, it is the responsibility of every believer while they are alive and able to make proper preparations spiritually as well as fiscally for the distribution of property and possessions left behind at their death. Now, I'm asked a lot as a pastor on these topics, what legal questions, and I have great legal advisors in my life, and I want to reflect to you some things I've learned on this, but four legal documents every Christian needs to put in order, and I've talked to so many people about this personally, and now I'm doing so publicly. There are four legal documents you must have. Number one, a last will or a will. It's a legal document that outlines your wishes regarding the distribution of your property property, and the care of any minor children. This will alone does not eliminate the need for probate court intervention at a cost. And what's shocking to me as you look at this statistically, 60 to 70% of Americans die without a valid will, which gives the government, the government, complete and total control over their family's estate. You want the government to come in and, I mean, that, you talk about a recipe for creating problems in your family. Second, you need a living will, or it's also called an advanced health care directive. This is a legal document that specifies instructions about life support and medical care. You need this. You get sick. You get ill. Something happens. Who's going to make those decisions? You, and how regarding your life? You need that. Thirdly is a power of attorney a legal document that names someone to handle your financial and legal affairs if you can't. You need this. And fourth is a living trust, a legal document into which your assets are placed for your benefit while you are alive, but then transferred to designated beneficiaries at your death. This eliminates probate court. It keeps probate court from entering into your affairs when you have a living trust. Now, let me just say this. Talking personally now, I'm just disclosure here. Everything Tracy and I have is in our living trust. Our living trust names the people, the organizations, the charities that will receive our estate when Tracy and I die. Everything in our estate is organized in this Tyler family legacy file. Everything is in one area. When we die, our boys don't need to go searching everywhere. Where do we go? They go to one thing, one thing. And you need to do the same. You need to work on this so that when you die, your kids aren't, what's going on? They go to one area. This is our file. You can do the same thing, okay? Everything's in this file. All our boys need to do is go to this file. 50% of everything we own will be divided amongst our three boys equally. You say, what's the other 50%? The other 50% goes to various selected charities that will strategically reach people for Christ and carry out the Great Commission. 50% of everything we own, I want to go for missions. That's our heart. That's, my, that's, that's just it. You say, why? Why are you doing this, Mark? I mean, isn't tithing radical enough? No, I don't believe it is. I mean, this is me personally speaking. This is the legacy that has been handed down to me by my parents. My parents... 50% goes to us kids. 50% goes to ministry. 
It's what I have received. It's what I want my boys to receive. You see, life is just not about our family. It's just not. I want our family to know that I love them, and they know that. But our life is also about a world that is going to hell that needs Jesus Christ. I want our boys to know that they're important, but I want them to know that life is just not about them. It's about a world that needs Jesus Christ, and my prayer is they will set up their estate the same way, and I pray like crazy that you will be hearing this right now, and you'll be setting up your estate the same way or something similar. You need to pray about it. But let me tell you, when we see Jesus face-to-face in glory, and we're going to talk about in message 3 and 4 in this series, guess what's going to matter? Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus said, Matthew 6, Luke 16, 9, use worldly wealth, or that's your estate, to gain friends for yourselves, that's people in heaven, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Billy Graham said this, a, Christian, a Christian's will and trust should be a matter of much prayer and thoughtfulness, including gifts not only to individuals, but to one's church and other spiritual organizations. I believe there should be a lot of thought. People will ask me, okay, what's in this? And it's all in there right now, all of this. What's in our legacy file? There's 13 categories that we have organized ours. There is number one, the first thing is 40 things to do after we die. When we die, our boys go to this, there's 40 things. This is what you do, boys. Here's the 40 things in order. You accomplish these things. Then there's a slot for the legal documents, our will, living trust, health care, directive, power of attorney. There's a list of accounts and passwords in here. There's income sources, liabilities and debts. There's insurance, life, home, auto. There's home deeds and auto tiles. There's stock investments, not much, but they're in there. (laughs) There's business partnerships, not much, but they're in there. Birth certificates and social security cards and benefits. There's family medical information. There's distribution of personal possessions. We don't want them fighting over our personal possessions. We, we designated them. There's memorial plans. What's Mark's service going to look like? What's Tracy? It's already outlined. They don't have to worry about that. I don't want them worrying about that. Now, you say, how do I do this, Mark? Get that My Family Organizer for $29.99. It will take you through and help you customize. Every family's different. Every individual's different. But it will help you with all the forms you need to develop this type of a file for you that you can pass on. That's all you need. Now you say, how do I set up these four legal documents, Mark, the legal side of this? There's two answers I would give you. It's in your notes. Number one, if you're really, um, you know, well, you can go to LegalZoom.com. If you feel like you have pretty good understanding of this and you just need the documents, you can get even attorney advice over the phone, Go to LegalZoom.com, the estate plan bundle with attorney advice. You can get it, and you can do it all online. Second is to contact a local attorney that specializes in estate planning services. For most of you, this is what I recommend because you need a face-to-face with someone. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later at the end of my message. Corey Ten Boom said this, The measure of a life is not its duration, but its donation. It's not how you start, it's how you end. And you can end with an amazing donation to, carry, to bless your family, to, to bless the kingdom of God. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, that's everything, of your estate, to gain what he cannot lose. That's eternal souls in heaven. 
Five realities you will experience at physical death. Freedom like you have never known. Your body will start to decay. People will start caring for your body. There will be a memorial service, and then there will be an ongoing legacy. This is what I like you to do at your tables. What is the most important thing that you've heard so far in this message? Go ahead and talk about that. Okay, well this morning, just part one. Just part one in our series, Seconds After You Die. We've studied five things. Five things that every single person will experience at physical death. We'll experience freedom. When we die, there's going to be a freedom when our spirit and soul separate from our body that we have never known before. There will be decay. Our physical bodies will begin to decay. There will be care. Others will begin caring for our body. Service. People will gather to remember us. There'll be a legacy. Our memory will live on into the future. One person said this. He said, if I'd known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. (laughs) Hey, guess what? All of us are alive right now. All of us are alive right now by God's grace. And maybe this message has inspired you to take better care of certain areas of your life while you are still alive and have your wits about you. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of life and the promise of eternal life through faith in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that your word speaks so clearly about so many areas in life, and even our physical death. And today, Lord, we've studied these five things that all of us will experience in our bodies, every single one of us. It's inescapable. Your Word tells us, teach us to number our days aright, that we could gain a heart of wisdom. And maybe we need to ask God for wisdom about our own life in light of our future death. Maybe there's something wise you need to do right now in light of this message. I want to invite you to ask God for his strength to take that action. Would you just take a moment and talk to the Lord? Lord, you've given us life. And Father, you exhort us to number our days and seek wisdom. And I pray, God, that you would pour that into our lives. You'd pour into our lives grace and strength to think about these things that often we don't think about, but Lord, that are so for sure going to happen. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead us forward into your will for each and every one. Bless each and every person. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said,